Can we uh, show a little appreciation for the worship team this morning? We're always uh, blessed when they come and share with us. Thank you. It actually does turn out to be a sermon illustration. Have you ever uh, started out heading into a situation where you were just really confident, you knew you were prepared, you're ready to go, and all of a sudden, everything went wrong? Okay, sermon, it's just the microphone, but we got it. Those of you who've been around for a while, or remembered about 15 years ago, I decided to go back to college. A little late in life, but uh, it happens. And uh, I went back to Penn State, where I had originally started my education, worked toward a degree in information sciences and technology. It's a big fancy word for nerd school. And, uh, and I worked hard, and, and it, was a, it was a hard time. Uh, my, my poor wife, she'll attest to it, because we had three kids at home, one of whom was going to the same college I was, and um, had a full-time job and, and a little dog that needed attention. And, but we worked hard and, and, and did well. I mean, I made about Dean's List about, you know, half the time. Yeah, not bad. Could have done better, I suppose, but, you know, no slouch. And I got my, uh, my nice, freshly minted diploma and went out to find a job, and the economy just went... Done. It took me about a year and a half to find a job. And I used that year and a half to go back and take some additional coursework and get some IT certifications. And finally, I get this job. And, uh, and I'm excited. First day of work, uh, ready to go in. And my supervisor, you know, we go through the whole orientation thing. He gets started. And then he sends me out and says, go, you know, we got this problem. Go fix it. And I got to this computer, and I'm looking at this problem, and it's like, I have no idea. No, I mean, I was clueless. I looked at this, all this education, all this training, and I was absolutely, positively clueless. Now, fortunately, my supervisor is a smart man, and he didn't send me alone. He sent along an experienced person with me who was there and, and helped me to pull all the, uh, the preparation that I'd had together and, uh, and put it to use. I think we've all had situations like that, maybe not so big. Um, you know, maybe it's just you're making your favorite recipe and all of a sudden you realize, I don't have whatever. Um, you know, you're going to fix something and it's like, I don't have that tool. Well, in the passage we're going to talk about today, this was like the, the ultimate, oops, I'm not ready. And... Um, we're going to talk about Isaiah, prophet Isaiah. Now, he's probably thinking he's in a pretty good place at this point because we're going to read in Isaiah chapter 6, uh, but there are five chapters before that. And through the whole first five chapters of Isaiah, God is giving Isaiah visions. There's judgment coming, and, uh, and he wants the folks to know, God wants the folks to know. And so um, he starts to send Isaiah out. But what Isaiah learns is that there's a work that needs to be done in his life. Okay, let's give you a little bit of background. Um, Isaiah was born in a time of great prosperity for Israel. Well, for Judah. The country is divided by this point. The kingdom is divided by this point. And he's in Judah. Judah has a king named Uzziah. Uzziah's reign runs 52 years. And he's considered one of the great ones. I mean, the only, the, the, the only kings they rate higher than Uzziah are David and Solomon. 
It was a time of great peace and prosperity throughout the land, and, um, and things are going pretty good, it looks like. Well, until one day when, for Uzziah, until one day when he, uh, he gets all excited and decides that he's going to offer an incense offering to the Lord. Well, Uzziah wasn't a priest. He wasn't allowed to do this. And God struck him with leprosy. Not a good time. And the country as a whole, as in times of peace and prosperity across the board, kind of, they, um, they settled into idolatry. They had forgotten God. And in all of this peace and prosperity, they, they started to worship other gods. They worshiped Baal and they worshiped Asherah and, and whatever other um, God, the people around them were worshiping. And, and God was like, no, that was me. And I want you to know that. And so he starts sending different prophets. There are about four prophets in this general kind of time frame. And Isaiah is one of these, these men. And God starts sending him visions. I want you to tell the people, look, this is not good. This is your, I'm the one who blessed you. And if you don't return to worship me, repent of your sin and worship me, um, things are not going to go well for you. And so for five chapters, Isaiah is just passing on these visions and passing on these visions. And so we get to chapter 6. It says, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And they called, and one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Now I want you to picture this. Now Isaiah is no stranger to the temple. He's a regular visitor. He knows what it is that he wants to communicate. And he knows the surroundings. And all of a sudden he comes in and just, it's all different. It's not the temple he's used to. It's not the setting he's used to seeing. All of a sudden, he is in God's throne room. Big, big, high and lifted up. So big and so filled that the train of, his, of God's robe fills the whole temple. Now, do you know what the train is? I don't know if they still do this. I've been married a while, but my, my bride had a train on her wedding gown that was a part of the drug on the ground. Okay. Um, I know wedding gowns have changed, but that was, that was the, that's, so the part of God's robe that would just kind of drag on the ground behind him filled the whole room. And God's throne is high and it's lifted up. And, and there are these creatures that are, that are around the throne called seraphim, seraphs, you could say. Seraphim is just plural for seraph. And they must have been amazing to look at. First off, the word seraph means burning ones. So they look like they're on fire. And they have wings. They have six of them. Now, you might think that a creature that was that powerful, that, that he would be that close to God's throne, might be able to just, you know, be in the place because that's his place. Well, no, I mean, with two of the wings, they covered their face. 
Number two, they covered their feet. So, you know, they're, they're protecting themselves from being in the presence of God. And when two, they flew. They couldn't even be on the ground where God's robe was. They're, they're just filling this space. And they call out. And I, I like to think of it as singing. There's a kind of music called antiphonal. No quiz on that. You don't need to know that. But in antiphonal music, one person or a, a group of people will start out with a melody. And then as the melody fades, another group will pick it up. And as the melody fades, another group will pick it up. And as the melody fades, another group will pick it up. And I can just picture this all around God's throne as these seraphim are singing out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. This beautiful, full song filling the space. And these amazing creatures... And it just continues and continues. Now, there's something about this song, Holy, Holy, Holy. Um, not the Martin Luther version, although I, I'm kind of fond of that. But whenever a word is said three times in Scripture, it points to the ultimate, the perfect. So this God who is holy, 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 is the ultimate in holiness, the ultimate in purity, perfect in his purity and holiness. There is no one, there is no one like him. There is no one like him. What do you think Isaiah is feeling at this point? Was this a, gee, I'm happy to be here kind of moment? No. Then I said... Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now, what would have been his expectation? You know, I mean, didn't Moses ask to see God's face? And what, what did God tell Moses? No, you can't see my face and live, so I'm going to cover you up, and you get to see my back after I walk past. And here is Isaiah in God's throne room. And I, I mean, the, we, there are two things that kind of play here. I want you to think about this as, as we read these words, because there's a familiarity that comes from hearing them said over and over again. And it's kind of formal language for us. We don't say things like, woe is me. He was convinced he was going to die. This is serious, serious stuff. He is not just, oh, woe is me. He's afraid for his own life. This is over. I have seen God and I am going to die. But look at where he goes, because he doesn't go to, I'm going to die. He goes to, I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. Now, I will tell you that I generally warn people to be careful about arguing scripture from silence. All of you who heard my class go like this, because you know you've heard it before. And it doesn't tell us how Isaiah saw himself. But I imagine that after five chapters of, you know, you need to repent, you need to repent, you need to repent without God saying, Isaiah, you're one of them, that he was probably kind of comfortable with the whole thing. You know, oh, God's using me. <laughs> this is pretty cool. God's using me. God's speaking to me. I'm having visions. And when he saw God, and when he saw his holiness, and he saw this scene, sorry, he just went, 
I am no better than anybody else. I am a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips. And what did Jesus tell us about, about the mouth? It's out of the overflow of the heart. The mouth speaks, right? He was simple to the core. The fact that God had been speaking to him and God had been using him, that didn't mean a thing. But God knows what he wants people to do. When God gives you a job to do, he purifies you and he cleanses you and he empowers you to do it. Look at what happens next. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sin forgiven. I want you to close your eyes for a minute. Just try and envision this. A creature whose name means burning one, who has a place in the throne room of God, comes down to an altar where there are burning coals. The burning one can't touch the coals. They're so hot, he needs to take a pair of tongs. And he takes that hot coal and he flies on over to Isaiah and then touches his lips with it. And says, you're clean. Your sins have been forgiven to you. Okay, open your eyes. Don't want you falling asleep on me. <laughs> you are clean. Can you imagine? I mean, I imagine the relief at that point. He's probably still confused by the whole thing, but the thing he needed most to be forgiven, to be clean before holy, holy, holy God had been done for him. And whatever had happened in his, his life before, he knew now he was ready. We go to verse eight. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, there's a seat in the back of the sanctuary where I need you to come and sing happy songs every week. No, thank you. No, he said, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. What else could he do? I mean, in his whole vision, the first time God speaks, he knows that he's done for, that he does not belong in this place. This is not a place for a sinful man. And yet the seraph comes down and cleanses him and his sins are forgiven and God asks for a messenger. Here am I, send me. I don't think our situation here in the United States today is all that different from Israel's was. Our political leadership is in turmoil. They seem to be happy to have us in turmoil. Our neighbors, maybe some of us, have replaced the worship of God with all kinds of things, with things. We've replaced the worship of God with postmodernism. We've replaced the worship of God with materialism. We've placed the worship of God with scientism. We worship our politicians. I don't get it. 
Was God silent then? No, he wasn't. He sent a prophet. He sent several of them. God is not silent today. But I don't think he's going to send the occasional prophet. Because he has something better. He has a church. If you are a Christian, you've already been forgiven. If you are a Christian, you have already been cleansed. If you are a Christian, he has sent the Holy Spirit to come and empower you and keep you fit for service. We don't need a vision. We sometimes think we might, and then I look at Isaiah and go, no, maybe not. <laughs> we don't need a vision. Why? We have the written word of God. We have the living word of God in Jesus Christ, who came and lived on earth and showed us what God was like. We have the living word of God who came and sacrificed his own life for our atonement. That is so much better than hot coals. <laughs> and we have the Holy Spirit, who is our constant companion, who comes to encourage us, who comes to challenge us, who comes to empower us, who comes to purify us by fire, just like Isaiah was purified by fire. Every experience Isaiah had up to that day prepared him for the ministry that God had in mind for him. I'm sure he had no idea what was coming the first time God appeared to him. I'm sure he had no idea what was going to happen right up to that moment. But every experience in his life prepared him for that day. Neighbor, every experience in your life has prepared you for today. You might not think so. You might be going, I, my life's a mess. God knows your mess. God knows what you've been through. God knows what you're going to go through. Maybe you don't want to think about that, but there's, I will tell you, things didn't go smoothly for Isaiah either. But everything in your life has prepared you to serve him and be useful for him today. In this messed up world that we live in, and trust me, it's been worse. I mean, you think this is, it's worse in other places than it is here, as, as bad as we might think it is here. But you are ready for today. We're going to take communion. If you have your little cups. I want you to picture this for a minute. This is familiar, right? Unless you have not, unless you're just recently coming, you know this room. You know what it looks like. You know the color of the carpet and the wall. You know the cross on the wall and where the, the sign, the 
projector projects, and I want you to picture for just a minute that the roof is blown off and God's throne is here and the train of his robe fills the room. There are seraphs all around that throne. What do you feel? What do you think? How are you before holy, holy, holy God in that moment? As we prepare for communion, if that's an uncomfortable feeling, that's okay. I want you to confess that to God. I want you to reach out to him and say, God, as, as we prepare to take communion and, and I know and I see holy, holy, holy you on your throne, I'm not ready. Confess to him whatever it is that makes it not ready this morning. And if you're comfortable in his presence, that's a good thing. That's the Holy Spirit at work in you testifying to you that things are good today. Then you can rejoice in that moment. So if you would, I'm going to ask you to, to go ahead and take the wafer. As Jesus taught us to remember that he came and he gave his body a sacrifice for sins. That we might be made holy, holy, holy in his presence. Take and eat. And on that same night, in the same way, he took a cup filled with wine and said, this is my blood given for the remission of sins. Again, so that we can be holy, holy, holy. I knew I'd get it open. Take and drink. And would you stand with me? Lord Jesus, we know that you have prepared something for each of us to do. Ephesians 2.10 tells us so, that you prepared in advance works for us to do. You have cleansed our hearts. You have sent your Holy Spirit to come and dwell within us. And you have given us one another to go out into the world, to be Jesus to a world that hurts and be Jesus to a world that needs you. So Lord, as we close this morning, I ask you to bless each and every one in this room that no one will leave this morning without that cleansed heart, that no one will leave this morning without that sense of purpose. Oh, we might be a little unclear about what that work that you prepared for us to do is, but you have one. And you've given us everything that we need to do it. Help us to be a blessing to the world that we live in so that your name will be lifted up and you will be glorified and that everyone around us will see holy, 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 
Lord God Almighty. In your name, amen. Go and be a blessing to somebody.